0: And welcome to Doubletink, the podcast asking the questions you had the good judgement not to bother with. I'm Aidan McKelvey and this is my co-host, Ken Walsh. Hello. Uh, yeah, as ever, we are um, dealing with a big issue uh, and we're going to talk through it. That's the way of the show. We talk to each other, we talk to experts, we talk to members of the public and we try to arrive at some sort of conclusion, although we usually fail. Now, we should apologise because this episode has obviously been disturbed by the pandemic that we're all going through, so... It's been, I think, five months since our last episode. And you'll hear when you, when we get into the conversation that we actually started it when the election in Ireland was going on, which was actually around the start of February. So it's been a long time coming. We apologise for that. But hopefully you'll still enjoy it. And hopefully it'll be still coherent in some way.
1: Yeah. If you want to contact us, email us at doublethinkpodcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is doublethinkcast. Our Facebook page is podcast as well. So go nuts.
0: Yeah, so this episode is dealing with politics and uh, democracy. And we've uh, had some great guests that we've talked to over the last five months. I spoke to a political correspondent with Virgin Media News and host of On The Record on News Talk, Gavin Riley, And myself again also talked to ex-Green Party politician
1: Sirisha McHugh. We both also talked to publisher of Zero Books and author Douglas Lane, uh, I also talked to Professor Peter Stone from Trinity College and Jason Brennan, who's a professor of strategy, economics, ethics and public policy at uh, McDonough School of Business and Georgetown University and the author of Against Democracy.
0: And as ever, we also talked to you, members of the public, uh, to get your opinions on it. So without further ado, let's get into the episode.
1: Welcome to the episode. Thank you. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what's this episode about?
0: This episode is about whether or not democracy works. Okay. Yeah. So and then like maybe more broadly, what you know, what what is a good political system? What's the best political system that you can have for any society?
1: Do you remember Winston Churchill's famous quote?
0: Yes, I do. Is that well, is this one of these ones because I find a lot of Winston Churchill quotes are uh Incorrectly up. ascribed <laughs> to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of them are like one of them, the what's I'm trying to think what is most famous. Actually, you think it might be this one. This is the uh democracy is the best of like a bad that's really like no, a massively paraphrasing. It was more
1: witty <laughs> sound yeah, was than one. that. It democracy tr- is the best of a bad bunch. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what he saying No, he
0: was saying uh it's the worst political system except for all the rest. Something like that, yeah. 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 So yeah, what do you, what's your take on it? Do you agree with uh, Mr. Churchill's Comments that are other person's comments.
1: Um, it, Churchill I mean, did I, say, it, by the way. Okay, it, it, it's a different question from whether or not it works. There are times when it clearly collapses and is destroyed and replaced by something that isn't it. Oftentimes, a different conception of what what democracy is. Yeah. So, what,
0: well, like, what, uh, what would you define as working? say when it comes to a political system?
1: Uh, it depends uh, again what you mean by working so I would say most people would say that communism failed in referring to like say the Soviet Union and the Eastern European communist blocs but like failed at what or, or in what way and they usually mean it because the system itself completely collapsed and ceased to continue on yeah. I think that's usually what they mean uh, when they talk about communism failing. So, if we're talking about the success of a system, I think for most people, it's that it continues to replicate itself.
0: Well, presumably, the success of a system is that it achieves the, its own stated goals. I think that's a, one thing you could say about, say, communism in uh USSR like, that that's why it failed, and that, like, you know, everybody's supposed to be relatively equal live the same lives, but like for obvious reasons, because it's a, it was essentially a dictatorship. The people who were in power lived a much more lavish lifestyle than the rest of the public. So you it's could, not, it's not really doing what it's supposed to do.
1: Yeah, you you could say something similar about democracy. Yeah, but democracy, I, I, I don't I say, think, has
0: the same goal as communism.
1: No, no, but there is a a kind of egalitarian element. To it, I mean. So we're essentially, when we're talking about democracy, it's parliamentary democracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that has collapsed in in various instances. So, like, failing, like the one of the things that any system wants to do is replicate itself to keep going, to keep to keep it itself alive. Ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Where uh, democracy is at one point, or or at least a type of democracy, and that failed. And uh, I mean, you can you can imagine somebody in the Middle Ages saying, oh, democracy has failed every time it's been tried." You know, it's yeah. cra- uh, what are you crazy yeah. advocating this failed <laughs> they stupid? we were doing that like
0: a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know, in each time, in each instance, it resulted in uh, something close enough to a dictatorship.
2: With our utter annihilation imminent, our federal government is snapped into action. We go live now via satellite to the floor of the United States Congress.
0: Then it is unanimous. We are going to approve the bill to evacuate the town of Springfield
3: in the great state of...
0: Wait
4: a second, I want to tack on a rider to that bill. $30 million of taxpayer money to support the perverted arts.
3: All in favor of the amended Springfield slash pervert bill? Boo. Boo. Bill
2: defeated. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work.
4: So my name's Douglas Lane. I'm the uh, publishing manager at Zero Books, which is a critical theory imprint out of the UK, although I am obviously an ugly American. Uh, I'm also a novelist. I've written a a few novels, including um, one called Bash, Bash Revolution, which came out about a year and a half ago.
0: This episode is called uh, Does Democracy Work?, which is obviously a very broad question. So I'll start by asking you that, and we'll we'll get into the weeds after that. In your opinion, does democracy work?
4: A democracy, you know, it isn't hasn't been fully tried. I guess would be my first answer to that question. So I, I'm not sure if it if it works. You know, I live in a democratic republic um, in the United States, so we have a representative democracy, and I think it's fairly clear that it is failing uh, at the moment. Um, I'm, I consider myself to be uh, a struggling Marxist or, or, or a want to be Marxist. In other words, I, I don't have a, a firm sect that I'm committed to, but I uh, think that Marx had a lot of good ideas. And I think that um, one of the difficulties that democratic societies have today is that our material relations, you know, the way our economy functions dictates the terms in which we can make democratic decisions um, so that. Rather than being t- truly free to set up our own course, we uh, are always setting our course against this mediating structure of capitalism. So I would say that uh, true democracy would arrive when we can uh, decide what sort of mode of productive life we want to have, um, one that might not be built around the exploitation, that definitely wouldn't be built around the exploitation of labor uh, and the market.
3: I wonder whether it's a sort of a 20th century model for a 21st century world. I'm Gavin Riley, I am the political correspondent at Virgin Media News and I'm also the presenter of On the Record on Sunday mornings here on News Talk. We're kind of moving into a world where uh, this isn't answering your question at all, but I'm beginning to wonder whether a 5-year parliamentary term is even the right thing anyway because so much things change now in the course of 5 years. I mean look at 2020 so much things happened yeah. in five weeks where like the mandate that people were given in the first week of February was replaced by the second week of March because of how things have sort of gone off a cliff really um, but so much changes now so quickly that I'm, I'm not sure about the wisdom of locking in a certain representation for what may end up being an unrepresentative or unfair period of time because news cycles now happen so much, pandemics can happen, economics can change, you know, the, the effects or the rising tides of globalism can change things so much so quickly that I'm not sure about the wisdom of, of parking your input for five years and devolving all of that power to a fixed parliament where you don't have very much right of recall or in fact none in Ireland at all. So should you replace it to direct democracy? This is where you get back to the question of what makes good government because if you... Uh, Maybe this is cynical and maybe I'm not giving the, the public enough credit, but if you were just to take a virtually a straw poll of what everyone thought on any given issue and then use that as the basis for making your decision, wouldn't you have a much more populist outcome than is currently the case if you asked everyone, would you like to pay higher taxes? And they'd go, no. And they'd say, well, would you like to pay higher taxes if you thought you had a slightly better standard of living? You might get a slightly higher percentage of people who'd say yes, but I still think the vast majority of people would go, well, no, because I can assure a higher quality of living for myself if you give me more money. Thanks yeah. very much. So um, how how it would work, I don't know, but I think that there's a natural tension now, particularly when it comes to the technological tools we have and that there are other countries that have done really good work like Estonia in being able to have proper, good, digital, secure, remote um, online elections or referenda that if you had a good, robust system that had good voter integrity, is there any reason not to give the public more of a say or to bring them in and, and consult them more often in binding votes of matters of public policy?
5: So my name is Searsha McHugh. I'm from Ackle Island and I am a former Green Party candidate in general European and Shannon elections.
0: I was just wondering if you, if you might kind of give us your experience, having been the only person that we've interviewed who essentially has been a part of uh, the current system i I just like to know really two questions why Why did you get into it, and why did you get out of it?
5: You know and i've I talked about this over a year ago. I was never fully convinced that elections and politicians is the way forward. but I figured if I can use this platform, if I can use this campaign to at least talk about environmental issues, then that's a benefit. And I was unemployed at the time. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing nothing else. I can, you know, I can go around the country. I can start knocking on doors and I can start maybe saying things on radio debates in areas and in counties that it's not usually said. So then the general election came up and I said, ah, oh, sure. You know, I have all the leaflets. I have all the gear. It's so much easier. It's only a three-week election. Um, I'll run this time as well. And why I decided to get out of it was, I felt like, you know, I know a lot of people were like, oh, well, she didn't get elected, um which definitely made the decision easier. But I figured that. I just didn't believe in the Green Party anymore, and I had seen that, OK, well, if the Green Party are are joining, you know, in with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and they've joined up to this program for government, then really. The Green Party holds no pathway forward, I think, for furthering the cause of environmental justice or, you know, garnering support for it. Because I do think while we have it, the electoral system can change minds. And I just, I figured, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to spend the next four or five years fighting against others within the Greens, trying to pull the Green Party to the left, you know, while simultaneously using the platform of elections. And I just, yeah, I made the decision and said, you know, I think I can be more useful outside of elections now. I think I can be more useful outside of the Green Party. It was no great loss. I never, you know, wanted really to be like, that was never my kind of life's ambition. Um, so there's no great loss to me personally to do so. And it does feel, I do feel a lot better in that it sits better with me now not being involved. Because the entire time I would, you know, I would talk to people and I'd say, you know, but politicians are just, they don't know best. You know, you you need to organise yourselves. You need to decide yourselves, you know, vote for me, please. But also don't leave all your your hope in me. Don't leave, don't just show up once every five years and vote. Um. So I feel, I suppose, yeah, I feel more honest now that I'm, I'm no longer within the party structure and I'm no longer... Considering running for election. How would you change
1: it if not? I would like things to be even more democratic, actually. What's that mean exactly? Uh, like in what well, sense? Well, for example, you know, uh, most of us work for organisations where we don't get to choose the goal. You know, we are we don't have a say in it and things like that. You know, um, an extension of democracy is... Yeah, so I, I'm very pro-democracy uh and think yeah we we should expand it into other other areas of life uh i, I think the the economic sphere is you know it's a, it's a hugely important one that forms most of what our society is uh-huh. and uh yeah i I'd, I'd be in favor of some level of democracy in that regard You know, uh we don't even have to go to these say regimes with 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 a really limited civil liberties uh, uh, to find something like that I took a tour of the Volkswagen factory in Germany there uh, a couple of years ago and I was talking to your one author who gave us the tour and she was telling me that the factory there is owned uh partly by the company uh, but partly by those who work for it and also partly by the town in which the, the factory is yeah. so like there's Zero chance that that company can just, like, move the factory elsewhere because the there's such a, a say from the other side. Like, yeah. uh, an expansion of, of democracy in that way, I think, is is a really good thing.
0: Sort of, that's going down to, like, a societal thing. I'm kind of trying, what I'm trying to get at is, we live in a democracy, the system, as in terms of how it runs the state, how happy are you with it and how much... Might or or if is there any change? You're like, oh, we could change. We could like change this a little, and that would improve it. Or we could change this a little. Yeah. And that well, would well,
1: I, t- I think the the expansion of democracy uh would be a great thing, but I think it has to be within a certain context. Um, there there are contexts in which I wouldn't support democracy, and I can kind of think of uh in Egypt. You know, there was like the regime there was overthrown, the Arab Spring, and then the elections were brought in. And uh, most people voted in the Muslim Brotherhood, who are an extreme, uh, you know, like they basically want uh, a religious theocracy, uh, of, of their religion to be like the the ruling, just the the you know the the, the guiding force of that society. Yeah. If I was living there,
0: what's wrong, what's wrong with
1: that? If I was in there, I'd be like, fuck this, um.
0: Yeah, but the majority yeah, has spoken, what's the problem?
1: Yeah, well, there's uh, a significant minority uh, who are like, no, we, we don't want that. And, well, okay, well... Then why, people... is, there,
0: why is any democratic decision valid, then?
6: Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's a series of compromises. My name is Jason Brennan. I'm the uh, Flanagan Family Professor of Strategy, Economics, Ethics, and Public Policy at Georgetown University uh, in the United States. If anything, I'm worried that You know, you know, probably heard of things like the Milgram experiment where uh, people get people to electrocute others and so on. People are pretty conformist and around the world when you survey people's perceptions of the legitimacy of their government. And I don't just mean surveying people in China about the Chinese government while they're like living under surveillance. But even when you have like anonymous surveys of Chinese students who are studying in Europe or the U.S. or Canada, you find that people tend to think whatever government they grew up with is legitimate. And so similarly, when democracy became a thing, when when it was replacing genuine monarchies, people at first were quite skeptical of its legitimacy and intended to just assume that monarchy was the only truly legitimate system. And then when they become accustomed to it, they tend to think that it's legitimate. The perception of legitimacy of government matters for things like stability, for things like the genuine or generalized social trust that people show towards one another. But over time, people become acclimated to whatever they have and think that that's the way things have to be.
1: So well, I put it to you: like, would you rather live in a, a democracy where the the government that was elected by a slim majority was, you know, really tyrannical towards like people like you? Like, like, so you're a pacifist; they hated pacifists more than... They're they're, they're, <laughs> really they're, strange. they're weak, weak scum. Oh, well, actually, that would make sense. Yeah. 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 So. Um, Like, would you rather live in a kind of more liberal dictatorship or a democracy in which you personally had fewer rights?
0: I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at like the idea of like uh, this regime comes in and they want to like maintain their position in power and their first move like when they're <laughs> trying to like crush possible uprisings yeah, yeah. is to like kill all the pacifists <laughs> well, and leave all the like violent militia yeah. groups just to be really annoyed. kill those lads, those yeah, lads were not yeah. even doing anything. thing. Yeah, well, it'd, be a pa- it'd be a poor move strategically, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in Nazi Germany, they, like they, they kind of did do that because they didn't want pacifism spread as a as an idea because you know well we know now they well, they wanted to go to war and everything like that um they conflated it with weakness and uh yeah if you're a really militaristic regime you don't want the ideas of pacifism being spread mm. so would you so if if it was democratically elected would you would you be willing as I've just said I would to you know, forget about my preference for democracy over being able to kind of, I know, live in relative peace.
0: Well, you know, I don't have a preference for representative democracy. So, like, I find it obviously less less obvious. Example. I know
1: that, but the listeners don't yeah. know that.
0: <laughs> well, we, we might as well get to it, though. <laughs> but even before we get to it, so in less obvious ways, like, I've never voted for Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, yeah. ever. Yeah. And for the entirety of my life, and for the entirety of the foreseeable future, they one or the other of them will lead the the government that runs this country. And I find when I like when people are going like, uh, you know, they're they're pro democracy. Like like I'm relatively pro de- the representative democracy model. It's one of the better ones. I would I would change Churchill. Yeah. It's not as catchy a phrase <laughs> yeah, as yeah, Churchill's, but yeah. say. It's one of the better ones. Yeah, probably yeah, not yeah. the best one. Um. Can
1: Can I just get in? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, so this episode will be going out after the general election Yeah but it's being and we might as
0: well say it's being recorded during the general election It's being recorded during the general so, election And that's kind but, of actually why I wanted to talk about it Because yeah. it'll be interesting to see people's thoughts even yeah. before and
1: after A, a poll uh, came out today showing that Sinn Féin are. Uh, a possible contender for being the leading party in the next government well, that's so <laughs> it would be hilarious if we released <laughs> yeah, this after and you were like it's got to be Fianna Fall or Fianna Grail Yeah, uh, yo, know, it's always got to be and it wasn't well
0: unfortunately it wouldn't change my point because I've also yep. never yep. voted for Sinn Féin yeah, 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 yeah. you know back to the pacif- pacifism thing but there you go so there's the top three possible parties this election that are likely to get in none of them represents me really at all Um. And I find that my kind of take on democracy, representative democracy, is to just kind of go, well, they voted for that. Everyone, like everyone, voted for that. I'm, I'm uh, a study group of one. I don't think it's a good idea. But who am I to tell the rest? Is it's yeah. not a good idea? And you kind of, I think you kind of have to have that attitude. Like, like if you, if you're like, oh, I believe in democracy. No, I as, as I said, I don't. <laughs> but, but if you well, believe in representative democracy, yeah, yeah. you have to just go. Well, that's what was decided. Like, especially if you were English, like English now. As much as not in a million years would I vote for Brexit if I was English. Not in a million years would I agree it's a good idea. But if I lived in England now, I'd be like, oh well, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we voted for. What can you do? Yeah. So, so well, can I tell you one of my, my, my one of my on. missions uh, of this of this podcast over the course of this podcast? I want to, I have like a vague idea right now of how I would reformulate the whole system. And over the course of the podcast, I want to try and, like when it comes to our conclusion talk, be able to go, this is it. This is this setup that I think we should do.
1: Uh, okay. But, um, so go on. Well, give us, give us.
0: I'll give you the vague outline of what I'm thinking now, right? And then we'll see. Yeah. So I, uh, Ken knows, but you listeners do not know that I'm a sort uh, in favour of sortition. Uh, sortition being the sort of modelled on the original democracy that was in ancient Greece whereby people didn't vote for a representative they all well in ancient Greece it was just the men and it was like the sort of upper higher echelons of society men would arrive at a parliament building Uh, they'd all put their name in the hat and names would be drawn out and that would be your parliament for whatever period they had decided so I think that that wasn't really feasible up really until the digital age, basically. Again, like not feasible again, because these were small, very small cities in comparison to the cities that we have. And also, like I said, the Greeks weren't looking for representation of women or, uh, you know, lower class, like what they would have viewed as lower class people. And their, oh yeah, and their logic for that would have been that only like an upper class man could have the education and the intelligence to make these sort of important decisions.
1: And that's what you agree with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about way down.
0: So, obviously, that was a flimsy argument to begin with, but by all means, that's like, out, you know, blown out of water now. Digital, everyone has access, to, or most people have access to information via the internet, a lot of information, a lot of expertise, should they so pursue it. So I'm saying that what should happen is, and also travel is something that people are able to do uh, much easier, it's much more affordable so in say a country like Ireland a similar system should exist whereby on a certain date after the previous uh, term of government has ended uh, you arrive on the date at the doll. you put your name in the hat and they pull out a certain amount of people out of the hat and say right, this is going to be the government for the next term of four, so it has to be people who can show up who who can prove that they can be in the doll every day just like the politicians are so you know they can't ha- they can't probably be running their own company or have a different job or else they'll have to quit their job for four years so so it has to be in terms of motivation it has to be something you really want to do and uh, and you're kind of motivated to do it on top of that then you don't get to choose what department you're in uh what area of the government you can't be reinstated in that department department after your term is over and so it's drawn like it ends ends up basically being like a jury and I think what it achieves is one thing I was thinking, one of the problems with representative democracy is you don't like ask a secondary school teacher at the end of his year to be voted back in for the next year by his students it's not always good to be popular as a teacher nor is it always good to be popular as a politician And you would get a completely different cohort of people teaching kids uh, if the job at the end of the year entailed you getting voted back in for the next year. In the same way, it's not that people who are in politics are bad, but I think the system biases towards people who are good at public relations. Uh, That's their skill set. They're good at public relations. They're good at debating. um, They're good people people. (laughs) Uh, But they're not necessarily, say, if they're the Minister of Education, like really on top of the whole education brief right. or the uh, business, the economics brief if their economics or health or whatever. And in any case, even if they were, they're spending wasting so much of their trying trying to get re-elected that's really bad. Right. And like if you listen to the news, one of the things we talk about almost most in the news is politics and like oh this guy said this and this guy said this and uh, oh he's after making a gaffe here and it's all very enjoyable Or she Or she yeah and it's like all very enjoyable and we're like uh, this is like lots of people find it fun to like debate politics look at politics it shouldn't be fun a good politician should be like a referee in a football game if he's doing his job well you never notice him
1: So right well so one of the things you're saying anyway is the current system Necessarily selects For people who are Whose Whose main skill is Getting elected Or getting people to like them Exactly Rather than their main skill being You know uh, Running an education ministry Exactly But the system you're proposing And it doesn't say a lot For our current set of politicians That what you're proposing is Is a random selection of people instead
0: Why are any of the current politicians Like They're just a random Person selected from The population like, they're not... Why is that any different to just having, like... A, so what you would have in my situation is a committee of, say... A committee rather than, a, you know, being led by, like... I mean, there would be a minister, but the minister's more of a spokesperson for the committee, a chairperson. It's the committee that makes the decisions. And it's a group of whatever, whatever way, whatever size we decide to have the committee. Like, why is it so unbelievable that... Say it's 12 or 20 random people from the country couldn't come up with better decisions about what's the best way to run our health system when they consult the experts which is what the minister does now you know the minister for health and his, and his team they consult the experts and then they make a decision so why is him and his team any better than the random group of people who have you know various qualifications and probably various probably a more varied in fact I would say definitely a more varied experience and that's part of the problem with politicians now like you know like a lot of uh there's that that statistic that's been out recently which I can't remember but a high proportion of uh, politicians are landlords so you know they have that experience they know what it's like to be a landlord they know what the landlords need to improve but they probably don't know what it's like to or as much of them don't know what it's like to be a tenant or for that matter to be homeless I'd say not one of them I'd love to get like a statistic of how many of our uh, TDs were ever on the dole I was on the dole you were on the dole When it's real to you You know You know what it's about like Though you don't know What it's about And that's like A gap in their knowledge
1: I don't know I'm kind of uh, Just wondering about how Like if that System would be More or less Corruptible Than the current system
0: Well sortition to be Like Definitively less corruptible How do you know that? Well Okay so why do Why do politicians Do corrupt things? They or you, I, I well, like,
1: yeah, you're on a, a, a county council, and it's like, uh, I want to build a shopping center on this land, and that land is supposed to be put aside for some other like social use, mm-hmm. and brown envelopes filled with money, <laughs> you get placed in your hand with here. Does it really matter if it's a shopping center or, or uh, you know, whatever, like a park? And he'd be like, uh, yeah, I could kind of see the shopping centre point of view, actually. Yeah. You know, uh, I I can see this system being as at least as open to that.
0: I would say it's less open for a couple of reasons. Well, one, one in fairness, I didn't, don't think I'd outlined yet. I think if you have a sortition system, every, like the, the parliament needs to be bigger. There needs to be more people Um Again to, to kind of get a wide to to kind of get a wide a scope as possible in terms of like viewpoints. Uh so does that. So there's like there's more people you have to corrupt, but more importantly, you don't know any like you don't know any of the people, right? It's not just money that corrupts people. It's like people come to politicians and they're like, uh you know, maybe they're the mem- they're like the head of a union and they're like, We want this done and my whole union will vote for you next time around if you get this done you can't do that in sortition because they're not going to be there right so you can't you can't give them that carrot like that's gone straight away so all of that getting you re-elected putting a good word in for you with people uh, you know helping with your PR system gone right so that's a shitload of uh, ways you can corrupt people and then the money thing if I come to a group of say a county council and the county council is, is like a uh, populated by say five people in the green party and two people in Fianna Fáil and one person in labor i don't this, this is really unlikely but you know whatever i'm just giving it because it's an obvious the green party are in favor of environmental issues and i'm like i have this deadly or i think i have this business model it's like a new renewable energy thing and i want i want them to use like my renewable thing and i throw them a lot of green envelopes going, what we're going to do is use this land for renewable energy you know going into it you're like Those I only need to get those Green Party lads on side and they're kind of in that ballpark anyway, so they're likely to go for it. Whereas if you don't know any of the people on the panel and they're like a completely disparate group of people, you're like it's a massive risk that any one of them might go like every time you go to someone it's a risk because they might go they might just be a lad who doesn't who has a mad staunch disagreement with that sort of thing. They're not a public figure, you don't know anything about their backstory really and they might just blow the whistle on you, you're done. Yeah. So
1: it's too much of a risk. But there's also the thing that If the person's randomly selected, and then they're only going to get one term, they're never going to be held to account. Like, so if they are just like totally corrupt, they're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be up for re-election anyway. Who cares? Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean there is that, but like you're still there's still like legal issues if you get caught, like. And also, like, it doesn't also just doesn't make sense. Like, if you if you, you have to corrupt, you have to hope more than half the people on whatever committee it is are corruptible. And so that means you have to go to, like, 12 people you don't know and hope not one of them dobs in. And all right. it takes is for one to go, I have, you know, an ethical code and I'm going to rat you out here. And then you're bolluxed. Like bollocksed. So th- and I think that's the power of it. It's like, they're not a group. They're like, like, have you ever been on a jury? No. I was on a jury. It was really, really interesting.
1: Really interesting. And that is done by sortation, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. In, yeah, more or less it is. Yeah.
0: And it's 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 very funny. Like my... my um, now, obviously, I've only been on it once. It's a very small sample size. But like, if you've ever seen 12... Have you seen 12 Angry Men? Yeah.
1: <laughs> my, have you, everyone listening
0: to this? <laughs> yeah. Have you all seen 12 Angry Men? It's very
1: famous. You should have seen it. I'm, sure, not, I'm sure people have seen films about juries.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, this is kind of like... The jury film, I think, and it's it's fucking really old. I don't know what I, it was like. In, it was uh, Henry Fonda's in it, so it was like nineteen forties, I think. Watch it anyway if you want. Pause the recording now. <laughs> Watch the whole of Twelve of Angry Man And Come back to us. Uh, otherwise, there's going to be maybe a spoiler.
4: Guilty. 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 Not guilty. Guilty. Boy, how do you like that?
5: Oh, another chap flips his wings. All right.
4: Who was it? Come on, I want to know. Excuse me, this was a secret ballot. We all agreed on that, no? If the gentleman wanted to remain secret. Secret? What do you mean, secret? There are no secrets in a jury room. I know who it was. Brother, you really are something. You sit here, vote guilty like the rest of us, and some golden voice preacher starts tearing your poor heart out about some underprivileged kid just couldn't help becoming a murderer, and you change your vote. <laughs> if that isn't the most sick, why don't you drop a quarter in this collection box? What made you change your vote? He didn't change his vote. I did. Oh, fine. Uh, I know this gentleman has been standing alone against us. Now, he doesn't say the boy is not guilty, he just isn't sure. Well, it's not easy to stand alone against the ridicule of others, so he gambled for support. And I gave it to him. I respect his motives.
3: But the boy in trial is probably guilty, but uh, I want to hear more.
0: My jury duty was very similar to that. Remarkably similar. Like I thought that was like a Hollywood-ized version, but it almost went... Almost said the exact same way, but what happens is you do have a group of disparate people, and they give all their opinions at the start, and they're from very a very wide range of mm. groups. And you're like, well, this isn't like how are we going to agree on anything? And slowly, like every if, if the people who are out on the edge of an opinion, it all kind of gravitates towards something that sort of makes sense. And I found it a really, I know, like mine ended up being we had two counts, and, and one of them we got a not guilty verdict, and the other one was a hung jury. But in my opinion, it should have been not guilty on both of them. It was only it was only a hung jury because yeah, we needed a ten to two majority, and I think we had no, we needed an eleven to one majority, and we had ten to two, and it just has to be a retrial. But even still, that system that's like it's not a satisfactory ending, but it it gave me faith that like eleven of those people or ten of those people were like had come to that conclusion, like which I thought was the only conclusion you could have come to, Hmm. and that again it'll be redone until it's definitive, sort of. I know it's slow, but at least it's good, in mm-hmm. my opinion.
1: Yeah, uh, that's all very interesting. Yes.
0: <laughs> like, oh, I'm trying to think, what's the way forward? I mean, we always have a, like, we're going to talk to some experts. Yeah. How, like, do you, have you got an idea, just from what I've said, of whether or not you're, like, you're in favour of that idea in terms of, has it how does it, shape up to representative democracy say
1: um I'm I'm open to it the the jury analogy makes me respect it a bit more because we actually do already use that system in a really important thing yeah in this thing that's like kind of central to our notions of justice and fairness and things like that can I tell you about the most mental political system that anyone has ever proposed to me in a conversation go on um I was in Berlin and I was talking to I don't want to reveal the identity, I was talking to this girl from Spain. Yeah. And she was telling me about her ideal political system and she was saying like, you know, the problem with the kind of uh Soviet style governments of the Eastern blocs was, you know, that they were like, you know, corrupt and the the you know, the ruling party became like the new ruling class and stuff like that. And the the way that that this would be solved, according to her would be that they would have this person who is the chosen one (laughs) (laughs) she didn't say that no no yeah seriously yeah so uh, they would pick this person to be the chosen one from childhood so they would
0: congratulations you've just invented (laughs) monarchy yeah yeah yeah
1: Uh, but you see like there'd be like a like a different chosen one every time Uh, and from childhood they would teach them to be the perfect person (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, that, so that When they became an adult They would rule And they'd be the chosen one And then when they die They would pick a new chosen one
0: Are they the chosen one From birth Like sorry I mean are When they're when they're born And they're the chosen one Are they born just after the
1: Previous chosen one It has doesn't died? matter It makes no sense yeah. Okay right. It makes no <laughs> yeah. sense So it doesn't matter When they're born no, oh, you know, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't make no sense. It makes very well, little sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's, I, let's give her a Jews. If
0: the person was if you like believed for some reason that we could make a perfect leader.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, also, by the way, there is a country that has this chosen one system in place. Go on. Well, it's a dispute with territory. Tibet.
0: Well yeah, that's what I was thinking, Dal- that's what I thought of immediately. Yeah, the Dalai so, Lama.
1: yeah, yeah. So so she proposes that for like Western European countries that was the context of the conversation
0: yeah, he seems like a good lad he's a, yeah but just <laughs> chosen one system makes no sense
1: yeah.
0: well I mean Tibet's got no issues right <laughs> and with that
1: <laughs> yeah that's it next thing you hear will be Fox Pop or something
0: uh, it'll be the head of the chosen one society of <laughs> Ireland I think
1: <laughs> yeah right I'd have to have more of a think about it Cool, well maybe that's what we'll do Well that's Uh, Well that's Yeah (laughs) That is what we'll do Let's think About it More than once Yeah, let's do what we (laughs) always do What would you do if Right To some series of events You ended up as The dictator And supreme leader Of Ireland
5: Legalised sausage rolls (laughs) Okay Um,
1: That's the most mental answer I've had all day What do we What do we What do we do yeah. Yeah I don't know, they're doing well down there, they're doing very well.
0: I would invest
1: more in rural communities and have all over Ireland uh, dynamic art, uh, you know, just use our culture to the best.
0: Probably try and stabilise the stock markets. try and revitalise the economy, you know.
3: What hell? Oh, <laughs> everyone wants I, was, something like that, I was not expecting a follow-up question. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, get rid of a lot of what's, what's called those? social uh, welfare payments. Yeah, get rid of a lot of them.
3: Yeah, just cut it. Yeah, yeah, make people work, work and earn the money. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, would any you kids like to give your if opinion? You're
3: in, what would you do if you're in charge of the country? Well, if I was in charge of Ireland, I'd make everything free for everyone. Okay. And make work the capital city. Excellent.
2: <laughs> I'd probably abolish the office of King.
1: OK. it's absurd. I'd abolish my very own office. That's the first thing you would do? Probably. Not not slip one or two laws in there before doing it? Uh, oh, good question. More council housing and lower rents. Yeah. What about what the landlords are like, lower rents? No way. Give them a box. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough
0: dictatorship going on at the minute. I think I'd leave well enough alone and hope for the best.
1: Tell anybody what to do. Like what?
6: I'm going get three drinks.
1: Three drinks, yeah. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to vote for you yeah. if this comes up.
0: I'll take out the, the car road taxes. I would take out the parking fees. So we would just park anywhere they want as long as it's in, in, in an order. And uh, yeah, stuff like that.
5: We would uh, invade England. We'll, we'll go back and uh, we'll do what they did to us. And we'll, we'll take their potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> if I became a dictator of Ireland, I
0: will. Uh, universal basic income for everyone.
1: Okay. I've been quite a bit. All right, free cash for everyone? Yeah, borrow at, borrow, borrow at 1% rates from the ECB and just let it go. I'd make weed legal. Okay, let's say it's, uh, it's your first day, there's a podium, there's a load of people there, it's going Christ. live on every channel. I feel like I'm doing it now. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I wonder what she's going to say. Welcome to
3: change, Ireland. Wake up! Um, Welcome. Um, Hiya! I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that's good. I don't know. Live happily and be free.
1: So yeah. So we'll come over on the news. I'd be a bit of
4: a hippie dictator, you know. Come
1: over on the news. Uh, (laughs) The supreme leader has dictated that you must be happy. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That
3: sounds (laughs) good. Yeah. What
1: people are going to want to be happy?
3: (laughs) Well. Stuck it up. I'm sorry. That's that's the way it is now. Right, so <laughs> you have know? gonna be, like, <laughs>
1: yeah. be like roving gangs of police, like enforcing. enforcing ha- if you're not having, yeah. if You're not being happy. If you're not having the crack. You. Just you know, you're out. You right. know. Right. Deported. Yeah. yeah. Extremely dystopian. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we're back.
0: We've talked to the experts. Um, we've talked to the public. What what conclusions have you come to there, Ken? Does
1: democracy work? Do you know what? Alright, because this episode was recorded over the space of about half a year I've forgotten a lot of what people said when I interviewed them but also in the course of things I kind of forgot that what the question was we were meant to be finding out so <laughs> I was I was kind of I wasn't going with does democracy work I was kind of more going with uh, should we abolish democracy? Well, why don't you answer both Well, does democracy work? I kind of agree with what Douglas Lane said, which was that we haven't really tried a full democracy. I would say uh, to the extent that we do have democracy, that part of it works. And I think the Irish electoral system is particularly good. The... Proportional representation by means of a single transferable vote, I think, is is the best election system on the go. I would say that works, but when power is so skewed in society, I mean, like, if you if you're if you're rich, you objectively have uh, more power than if you are poor. So democracy isn't isn't showing itself in in all of the places where it should or where it could. So. Yeah, I kind of agree. We that we haven't tried like a full true democracy, and I would be in favor of of expanding where we have democracy. What about you? Did you come to any conclusions?
0: Um. Yeah. Well, I think like it seems like most of the people we talked to, are certainly the people I talked to, but particularly Gavin Riley and uh, Sirisha McHugh, uh, maybe not so much Douglas Lane, but the the two of them they. And myself and yourself have been kind of saying that a more direct form of democracy of some sort and a more pervasive form of democracy might be a good idea. Like, we seem to like the principle, but it's that it's not uh, being sort of enacted correctly. Uh, Gavin Riley actually said an interesting thing about, like, the, you know, technology, the way technology is going, there could be a situation very quickly down the line where There's a vote and everybody can be online and just go, yes or no. And decisions are made like sort of in real time as a collective group, which is always like an interesting concept. He kind of likened it a bit to uh, the Citizens' Assembly. Which Cersei McHugh also mentioned when I was talking about sortition to her that the Citizens' Assembly uh, seems to be roundly something that people really liked uh, and something that maybe we should bring more into government. And and I would certainly be in favour of that with my whole sortitionist stance.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's something basically that Peter Stone was saying when I was talking to him. Uh, My name
2: is Peter Stone. I am Associate Professor of Political Science at Trinity College, Dublin. Uh, I am very interested in the virtues of lotteries and random selection, and I'm the author of a book called The Luck of the Draw, The Role of Lotteries in Decision-Making. Uh, What sortition uh, is, is the idea of uh, selecting ordinary citizens uh, by lottery. uh Uh, Picking people's names out of a hat, uh, figuratively or sometimes literally, uh, and then assembling a group of randomly selected citizens to perform some important task, usually to make some kind of important uh, decision. Uh, You bring ordinary citizens together, uh, you make it possible for them to get all the information that they need, you give them the time to uh, deliberate, uh, and then uh, they come off Uh, come up with uh, an opinion or a solution to the problem uh, you've given them. And uh, there is an increasing uh, attractiveness uh, to this idea as people are looking for innovative ways to bring people into the uh, political process and also to solve some of the problems that are ailing democracy uh, these days. Ordinary citizens are seen as a potential solution to those problems uh, that Uh, the professional politicians doing the same old thing they've been doing forever uh, haven't been able to come up with.
1: So is this government by a random selection of the population? It is partly that, um,
2: because like I said, there are people who would say, let's have government by lottery, let's have lotocracy, you sometimes see the term, where that just uh, replaces everything else, replaces elections, you just have ordinary citizens selected at random. Uh, But uh, you don't have to do it that way. If you go back to the uh, ancient Greece in Athens, the first uh, big democracy in the world, uh, they used uh, random selection, but they used it alongside of a bunch of other procedures. Sometimes they used elections, Sometimes they use direct democracy where everyone got to come together in a big assembly. Uh, so it is government in part by lottery, but not exclusively by lottery.
1: So he wasn't going for fully in with what he called lotocracy, which is like government by lottery, which is basically sortition all the way, you know. Uh, so he's basically saying, uh, which I, I came around to, but I find myself by the end of these episodes, I'm always convinced... So maybe I'm just like a total pushover. I always find I have a different opinion uh, by the end. Watch yourself, Dad. You're the highly suggestible type. Yes, I am the highly suggestible type. Yeah, he was basically saying like like a greater uh, role for citizens' assemblies and one that's more more than just uh, than just we listen to what they have to say. What, what's that? What's that?
0: Like more than just an advisory.
1: Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. So, like, like, uh, and not just called whenever. And also, he said there should be less of selection of who's on them. So, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm I'm in agreement with him. I wouldn't go all the way with your thing where it's sortition completely. But, like, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely for some. What was his, what was his objection? Uh, and I suppose, what's your objection to the kind
0: of going the full, the whole hog on it? Like, just a full-on sortitionist system.
1: Um, well, one thing he said, uh, which he, he phrased quite weirdly, was that, uh, the well, the best thing is that it keeps out the bad reasons, but the worst thing is that it keeps out the good reasons too. <laughs> Did he phrase it like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, then he explained what he
2: meant. Luckily, we can, <laughs> we can go to a the, the best thing about random selection um, is it keeps out bad... Reasons it keeps out reasons it prevents you from discriminating against people against because of their race or because of their gender or because they're not uh, educated enough or because they're not rich enough it you know prevents that but the worst thing about uh, uh, random selection is it keeps out the good reasons too I mean you means you can't favor people who are smarter or more knowledgeable or whatnot and so when you want people who are professional uh, who have training or like then it's a terrible idea and in practice. Uh, advocates of lotteries have recognized that uh, usually. Like I said, in ancient Athens, uh, when they needed professionals, like, for example, when they needed uh, generals or people with military experience or other kinds of important experience, they'd have an election. They'd say, well, let's let's elect them. Let's not use random selection there. So uh, random selections, uh, virtue can also be its vice if you don't use it carefully.
1: He gave the example, actually, of like ancient Greece, where they didn't have a, like a completely sortitionist government, people would elect different roles, like like a general in the army would be elected on, on you know and make his case on the basis of his expertise and stuff like that. Uh, what well, what would you think about? I don't know, like only military people could vote for the general.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, pro no, probably not, no because. I just think, like there's there's obviously in, in like areas, especially when nobody else understands the inner movings of an area or uh, in, of a particular part of of society. Maybe there's a bit more of a danger that vested interests will play a part in, like you know, maybe the all of the in like a worst case scenario, say a lot of all the soldiers are talking together and they're like, oh, we should really take over Britain and this general wants to invade Britain, you know, they might vote for him. For an internal reason, that isn't a reason that's for the good of society. I think more it should be more incumbent to... If if you're a specialist in a certain area, you need to educate the whole of society on why and justify why they should vote for you.
1: Yeah, but let's say the decision to go to war is still with the... Let's say the decision with that is with the, the sortitionists, uh, like the citizens assembly. But who is the general is elected by military people. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that you would switch over to having the generals always decide what what mm. what happens next. Well, like a general was just an example. It could be like uh, I don't know, uh, doctors and nurses vote for the minister for health. You know, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not like it's not a, it's not a bad idea if, if it's that principle where they're they're not necessarily deciding policy, but they're advising and they're enacting the policy. It it might be a good share. Like Look, it's funny thinking about these things out loud because you haven't like <laughs> neither of us have uh, kind of sat down and wrote out a document as such. But straight off the bat I can't think of I can't think of a massive problem with that. The people involved in that area of society should know the kind of qualified people in their area and um, i guess the the only the only concern there would be some sort of ve- like vested interest, but if they're not an acting policy maybe those vested interests won't
1: won't be a problem uh, what uh, about jason brennan's idea uh, of epistocracy
6: so epistocracy is the term was coined by a philosopher by the name of david esland but it's an idea that goes all the way back to plato uh, the idea is you have the sort of normal features of a modern representative parliamentary democracy, separation of powers, uh, political representatives, and so on. But in one way or another, you weigh voters' votes according to something like their objective political knowledge. So everyone participates, but maybe not necessarily as equals. And there's lots and lots of different versions of epistocracy that are uh, out, out there in contention in the theoretical space of philosophy and political science some of which are uh, more likely to be abused and maybe less worth trying than others. So the the simplest kind, which is not the kind that I actually advocate, would be uh, in order to vote, you have to sort of get a license to vote in the same way you need to get a license to drive an automobile. Um, So by default, you don't get to vote, but then if you pass a test, maybe you do. I wouldn't recommend we try that one for obvious historical reasons. But another one which I think is more worth experimenting on is what's called enlightened preference voting. So what happens in enlightened preference voting is that during an election day or a referendum or whatever it is that you have people vote on, everyone gets to participate, even children. You might as well let the family pet participate, too. It won't really make a difference. Uh, but when they participate and vote, they have to do three things. Uh, the first thing is they tell us what it is they want. So whatever it is they're voting for, they, they put down, I prefer this party. I prefer this candidate. I prefer this answer on the, on the referendum. The second thing they have to do is tell us who they are. They tell us their demographic categories, such as their gender identity, their religion, their income level, their employment status, and so on, because these things affect how people vote. And then the third thing they do is they answer a battery of 30 questions about basic political knowledge. Like, can you identify who your representative in parliament is? Uh, do you know which party controls it, et cetera? So et cetera. just really basic stuff, the kind of things that you could – Look up on Google uh, in 20 seconds if you needed to, though we don't let you bring your phone into the uh, voting booth. And then when we have these three bits of information, who people like what people want, who they are and what they know, you can statistically estimate what the public would have supported if it were fully informed, but demographically identical. So you can remove any bias or something that's coming about from people's racial identities and so on. And you can just simulate what an enlightened republic would want. And the idea is you do that instead. Instead of having our actual unenlightened preferences, you instead uh, supply our enlightened preferences. And the nice thing is you take this data, you anonymize it, and you simply release it to all the major newspapers and political scientists and so on. So anyone can check the government's work and make sure they're not like fibbing. So that's the basic idea. There's other variations on this as well, but that's the one I think is most is most worth experimenting
1: with. So he's basically saying you know, uh. when voters are informed of of what they're voting on, they do tend to vote differently to uninformed voters. So what would you think? Interesting.
0: Of that? So Interesting. so the votes the votes would get weighted essentially. I score ninety percent in my. To, to simplify it, I'm sure he didn't say this specifically, but is it something like I score 90% in my pre referendum questionnaire? So my vote gets nine points as opposed to someone who scored 10% and their vote gets one point. And it's way, and people like me will have a, a greater say in what, what happens if I scored highly in the referendum. Is that what is that, is that
1: it, well, it, it was kind of hard to, to get out of him exactly how it would work. He said it was, just, it was done on a statistical basis. He said it goes into a black box and then the answer that comes out is, <laughs> yeah. the, the, is what the statistical likelihood of well, the I, informed I'd, voter is.
0: I'd imagine, yeah, it'd have to be something like that. And so someone actually said this to me before that, or proposed that idea to me before. Now, they had a much more simplified version. So I don't think the weighting of votes is a good idea because you're just leaning a little a little in a sort of semi sort of a fascist way towards the will of people who maybe are, have a higher level of intelligence or have attained a higher level of education because they're more likely to score high in that test um i i might agree with it to the point that uh, as my friend had suggested that when you go into the ballot box you should be able to answer one very simple question about the thing you're voting on. So if it is a referendum, the question might be like, what is this referendum about before you go in? Uh, or what is the question on this referendum? Or if it's a, a general election, name two candidates on the ballot paper from different parties or who aren't in the same party. Because at least then you're just showing a baseline. Like that's nothing to do with intelligence, uh, nothing to do with academic achievement. You're just showing a baseline, you've done the very basic amount of research. And even though it feels like it's gone into dodgy territory, I kind of think that's all right, like. Like you should do the basics. Like, you know people are like, there's all these like popular campaigns of like get out and vote. Don't vote (laughs) under any circumstances unless you've actually looked into the thing you're voting on. Stay at home. It doesn't matter. Like, if if it doesn't matter enough for you to read a couple of pages, don't bother voting.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. What if uh, there's only one thing you care about? Let's say you're just like, the environment to you is the most important thing. You will always vote for the Green Party you, you have an idea that that's like the ecological party so you don't you're like I don't need to know the candidate I don't need to know the current issues this is the biggest issue of them all according to me That that's me speaking as this hypothetical other person by the way not as myself <laughs> uh, just so, to you know I know it's kind of confusing I should yeah but anyway right if you're someone who's like that <laughs> I would say your, your voice and your vote are still relative you're, it's still valid you don't have to know uh you don't have know uh, other things. Um, uh, Jason Brennan calls his his thing uh, enlightened preference voting.
6: In an enlightened preference voting system, um, everyone's vote or participation is sort of an equal input, which is, in a sense, placed into a statistical black box that generates an outcome. But it's not really the case that any vote gets thrown out, and it's not really the case that any one voter's vote counts for more than others. Um, so, in a sense, we're all equal participants in it, but we're just trying to extract the wisdom of the crowds a little bit better than democracy does. So for that reason, some people respond to my – like some of the political scientists and others I talk to, they go, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. You're right that this is a research method that we've been using for 40 years, and maybe it could make we could use it to make better decisions. But technically speaking, it's not really epistocracy. It's really just a funny form of democracy. So that's one reason – It's in a way, it's even more inclusive than uh, – than democracy actually is because you can allow children to vote. You can allow well, many, many countries disenfranchise felons. You might as well allow them to vote. Um, you can allow others to vote. Um, and to some degree, it's it's even more inclusive because uh, one of the problems we have in most democracies is overrepresentation in voters among advantaged groups like employed people, the ethnic majority, the religious majority and so on. They're usually much more likely to high income people. They're much more likely to vote than disadvantaged or minority people. And the, the system I'm talking about can sort of correct for that problem and just sort of extract knowledge. Um the I don't
1: know level of, of how informed we are about about political issues and ideologies and things like that doesn't necessarily doesn't guarantee
6: you know agreement even. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um it certainly doesn't. And and one thing I should say too is uh, education, ter- and I, I'm an educator in a way, you know, my, my primary job at Georgetown is to write original research, but my secondary job is to teach. Uh, and it's disturbing when I look at the empirical work on education. Uh, in fact, education has a very weak effect on people's political knowledge as an independent variable. And so uh, really, the, th- the main thing that drives whether or not people are informed about politics is not education or anything else. It's, uh, it's, interest. People who find politics interesting tend to know a lot about it because it's their hobby. And people who find it boring tend to know very little about it, even if they're highly educated. The problem with that, though, is that um, educ interest also predicts bias. You're more likely to be a team player. You're more likely to strongly identify with an ideology or a party. And that means that you're likely to only look for information that confirms whatever it is you already believe. You tend to befriend people who agree with you and not befriend people who disagree with you. Uh, in some places, you tend, like in Germany and the United States, I don't know if this is true of uh, Ireland in particular, uh, you tend to uh, live in places with sweeping u- uniformity of ideology. So Basically, what you have is like in most democracies are low information people who have very few opinions but don't really care and higher information people who have opinions but are incredibly biased and you don't really have any disinterested, open minded people. They're, they're incredibly rare, probably just, you know, you and me and a couple of our friends. But other than that, and anyone who's listening, but no one else really. However, that said, um, the method I've been talking about, this sort of enlightened preference method, it's a thing that political scientists and economists have been using to study the independent effect of like how does race affect how people vote how does information affect how people vote how about income and a surprising effect of it is that you actually do off it's not guaranteed a priori, but you often do get convergence. And so lots of different people have tried this method on different data sets, and you tend to find that high information people tend to lean one way and low information people tend to lean another. Though, again, it's not guaranteed to do that. It could be that when we do enlightened preference voting that there's divergence rather than convergence.
0: I'm not sure how it's not still like how a, a sort of an assessment test isn't still advantaging advancing the aims of people who are more advantaged yeah yeah Um, but if I mean I'm all for the idea of like widening the base if we can and like to your thing about the green person who wants to vote for the green party that's fine but you know going into the ballot box all you have to do is like have a quick look at the ballot paper before you go see what other candidates are in and then name one of them
1: you know it's just it's just a basic well the ballot paper is in your hand
0: no but you get the assessment before you go in
1: right 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 and what what if they're like, no, you you spelt Searsha wrong, so you don't know who this person is. Yeah, no, that
0: doesn't that doesn't count. You can spell phonetically if you want.
1: You yeah. Can even... uh, what what if they, what if they're like, oh yeah, it's uh what was it, Sabina? Yeah, that was the one. Uh, then it's just getting the name wrong. But somebody could say, oh, then you don't know the person, you don't truly know the issues, your vote doesn't count. I kind of I kind of think if you go like,
0: oh, what was your one's name, Sabina? Like, you weren't bothered, like, you weren't bothered enough knowing that it was a prerequisite for voting. But what if your you like, bu- names
1: aren't important? Who cares?
0: Yeah, but it's just showing a base a base level of knowledge. Like, anyone who wants to vote and is interested will, uh, if you really want to, you'll be able to go, this person's name is this. Maybe you don't even have to write it down, you know, maybe because people have maybe uh, learning difficulties or dyslexic dyslexia, but maybe you can just say it to a person. Oh, yeah, such and such a person. Any of these, because I said the sortition thing at the start, any of these kind of problems that have to be solved and that problem of the party, you know, alliance to a party, uh, I still think they can all be solved by sortition because, you know, in a sortition situation, there's no party. In a sortition situation, the people who are well-informed and want to do it will be the people who go to to be in the parliament because they'll show up on the day. Because you have to put the effort in. You have to, like... Essentially, probably put your your job on hold for a couple of years, so you have an interest in doing the job, for the job's sake, and not necessarily, for power or for anything else. Mm-hmm. I think that's like one of the strengths of it, and I think that was something that Saoirse McHugh said she was talking about. How like, that's a problem where, if you know, people are currently biased towards people who have other things influencing their decisions.
5: Looking at the last few citizens' assemblies we've had, the recommendations that they come up with are usually far more progressive than our government um, and often, uh, you know, correct. <laughs> or, or maybe they just conveniently align with what I would want to see. Um, and I think that's from a combination of things. It's because, you know, they're not trying to be re-elected, so they're not thinking of their own constituencies. They are not lobbied Um because they're just you know randomly selected people and they are presented for those whatever it is they do it over weekends isn't it but yeah. they're presented with um you know the the actual facts of the case and they do make the decisions with the best interests of the Irish people at heart because they are such a randomly selected group um and i've i've often thought like you know why don't we just have something like that Be- you know why don't we just have um regular people making the decisions people who aren't thinking about their careers people who aren't concerned about being re-elected so there's no constituency issues to be mindful of um because quite frankly it does seem like a far better idea like you see you do see some politicians who make decisions that are maybe not in the interests of the country at all but if there's a, a particular project back in their own constituency and I think this is pretty problematic with ministers Um, and we we end up with people who tend towards conservatism just because they have to keep the largest amount of people on side um, and the largest amount of votes and they have to you know try and stay out of the headlines except for good things and so something like that sounds far better than what we have and it definitely sounds like a route through which we could discuss, you know, going forward, even so, you could you could have a citizens' assembly um, that specifically discussed, you know, the future of governance in Ireland, or you know, or the future of organisation in Ireland. How we how we're going to do this? Because I think anything that comes from anything that comes from our doll, um, you know, it's often it's oftentimes like it comes from either politicians or it comes from civil servants that have very little accountability. And we all just kind of accept that, that that's the case because we think, you know, all these people must know best. But I think we, we really kind of underestimate the the powers of lobbying and the powers of wanting to be re-elected and, and the impact that has on our elected politicians.
1: Yeah. Um, well, like, a lot of this discussion... Um, is about the the form that democracy takes. I kind of uh, agree with 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 Douglas Lane when he said uh, it overlooks that like no matter who's put in to the state, there's you're you're still dealing with with dealing with the the total system of capitalism, which is this like huge power that is kind of you know in many ways outside the state. In some ways, subject to it. So I, I kind of think more than like whether democracy is effective is like at what level should it come in at, and I would kind of agree that it it should come in at the level of what is the goal of of productive life and productive activity, and I think like you know the current goal of like uh, it's like profit driven, right? So it's so it's it's exchange value. Of the 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 products of labor, rather than the goal being use value, what is what is useful? Uh, that's yeah, yeah. To me, basically, the the more important question is is at what level does democracy come in? And we don't we don't have the you know the power of that. And even like I'm not even saying like rich people or big companies uh, have a power over that themselves. I mean they are as beholden to the the abstract nature of of. Uh, you know of markets as as anyone like 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 so um for example let's say you have a, a company that's it's called cheapy, cheapy cheap clothes right okay so uh this shop there's this shop selling clothes and I'm in competition with them. I have my shop selling clothes and uh we're selling clothes at like fairly cheap. It's like a kind of uh you know budget budget fashion shop. They start then right they move their production to somewhere where the workers are are getting paid next to nothing, right? So now, um, you know, their profits are going up. Their prices are going down. So now I can't compete with them unless I decide to do that too, right? So even though you might go, oh, he's a big clothes shop. It's like he's got that power, you know, the the logic of the market, the logic of markets forces the hand of everybody who is who is within them. Even, like, powerful actors are subjects to the same forces. And, uh, you know, if, if democracy comes in at the level of what the goal of production is, we can kind of rationalise what do we want. So as a society, what do we want the goal of our productive efforts to be?
0: Can you make that change with, like... A single, like this is simplistic, but like a stroke of a pen, legislative change, or can you make? Is it a cultural change? And so the, the the reason I'm bringing that question up is there. You said there was no way you can counteract this person who's gone to the cheaper country and has the cheaper clothes, but actually there is a way. Uh in that, for instance, I, I have an example on my feet right now, where I buy my shoes from this uh, Spanish company. Now. I only found out through a friend of mine who was Spanish who was like, oh, they're made in Spain and they're made, you know, ethically uh, and they're not much more expensive than a shoe elsewhere might be. Now, they are a bit more expensive, but I was like, oh, that's the, the choice. I'd rather buy the slightly more expensive one um, because I like the ethical format. And they've obviously tried to market it in such a way. So that is the other option you could take and you can rely on the change of culture or try and change the culture of your community where money is not the most valuable or valued thing in the world, and profit is the most valuable or valued thing in the world. But that's a cultural change; it's a hard thing to engineer. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. First of all, that it's not going; it's not quite going for the same market. Like, but like we, we still have uh, all of these factory laborers. Like, like they are getting the the lion's share of the market for that reason.
0: But it is, yeah, yeah, but is it for, like, is it inevitable because they're cheaper or is it inevitable because of, as you said, the all-pervasive culture of capitalism that we've all grown up in and we're not immune to, that we think cheap, good. Like, I've been saying, it for, like, I'm into food and lots of people who I know who would be, consider themselves, like, very socialist, very left-wing, will buy their food in the places I'm like, that's a terrible place to buy your food because you know you're sending all the money to some massive like global corporation their practices are probably aren't ethical and the response i always get even from the most socialist and most left leaning people is like listen it's cheaper essentially and you're like well maybe cheaper isn't the ultimate value we should look for maybe better is the ultimate value we should look for but my question i guess is how do you get to a point where that's the the culture in a place. Can you do it legislatively or do you just need to convince people person by person?
1: Well I I, I don't think uh changing it on the level of the consumer is going to work. Uh I, I think it has to be changed on the level of uh I don't know of what the, the what the specific goal is. I think uh Douglas Lane made a, a point about that about about what we're we're on about. I've I've got one for you. I'm I'm making you, Douglas Lane, a benevolent
0: dictator of America for the day. Um, Uh So you have a day to uh, change the system in a way that you believe, and by that I mean specifically the political system, Um, you know, the constitution, the way the elections are done, whatever way you want to do it. What sort of changes are you going to make in that day that is going to make the society better? uh, And why? Well,
4: the first thing I'd say is that everyone would have to read my novel, The Bash Bash Revolution. Then after that... (laughs) uh, Um, let's see what kind of, the, 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 the thing is I couldn't do that much to change society in the direction that it needed to go on my own. Like I can't, I don't think you can just dictate, uh, socialism into existence. Um, what needs to happen is that the working classes altogether need to seek, uh, power in an organized way so um i mean i might do some reformist things if i were suddenly to be president i would, you know make it easier to form a union um try to get you know put in job guarantees but th- this shows maybe the limit of my limits of my imagination um but i don't think you can you we can get to a class of society um from the t- from the top down so uh, you know as a, even a you know even if Jesus Christ were to come back and become dictator i think that uh, jesus himself would have a hard time on his own um creating the, uh the conditions necessary for for socialism we are going to have to all do it together
1: you can't just like dictate it from above and i kind of agree with him It's like a, it does have to come from like a, a much longer process of like, I don't know, people collectively organizing politically uh for for that end. So I, I yeah, I think basically I kind of agree with you. Uh it, yeah, it, it it is a longer a longer term political project.
0: Yeah, the problem than, with that then is you're kinda you're giving up on really you're giving up on it happening in your lifetime. Like which is and that's both pressing and destructive because then people are like, well it doesn't matter then. I won't bother like what's the point? and you do get a lot of apathy, like what's the point in engaging in politics when I'll never see the, the result of it like that's that's kind of a, like a that's an issue, like I, I think you kind of I'm not i I'm not a top, I don't think like trickle down things work either, but I feel like to arrive at an answer to like how to change democracy if you want to change as it pre- performs at the moment you need like a legislative change or constitutional change because the other way is just going to be so slow and is so reliant on getting sort of um, a tipping point of enough people that agree with like you know what I want to buy the better shoe than the cheaper shoe and I just think that's a long it's a long way off it's a hard thing to change
1: Yeah well I think it's I mean it's not just about the cheaper products in worse conditions it's also just about uh, accumulation being a thing that is is completely possible in our economic system. So if you have more, it's easier to get more. Like the the, the like that process of accumulation is 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 one of the features of of the system. Yeah, and so, it's
0: considered desirable, which I don't think is necessarily human nature. Completely It's like I don't think it's, it's We're bound to that I think it's just the way w- Where we are at the moment
1: Yeah The economics of the future Is somewhat different You see Money doesn't exist In the 24th century
3: No money You mean you don't get paid
1: The acquisition of wealth Is no longer The driving force In our lives We work to better ourselves And the rest of humanity
0: you can make a change. You, uh, God has decreed that Gavin right can change this right Big now. damn time. Yeah, what what change are you making unilaterally? Uh,
3: I promise I'm not saying this purely because of my news head and the amount of content that it would yield, but I do think that five years now for a fixed sitting of a parliament is, is a little bit too long. I don't know whether the New Zealand idea of having parliamentary elections every three years is maybe an overcorrection, but I just think that so much now happens. Uh, and things change so much and so much uh, things that imp- that affect your ability to implement policy can change so wildly that I just don't think that a five-year term is appropriate anymore, not only because of how much the economy can change so quickly, but also because how much better informed and how much extra information people now have at their disposal that previously news cycles actually lent themselves to a five-year term because if a big story broke on a Monday afternoon. It could tenably lead the newspapers for three or four days afterwards because a newspaper might have been the only really accessible means of information that you had. So if the story took two or three iterations, person X says this and person Y rebukes it with with a different point, that could be a front page story for each day of four or five days. Now it's a live blog which is over in two and a half or three hours. Like the story has gone stale that quickly. And I don't think that politics should then become reactionary to that. But I do think that people are able to digest and uh, take on board newly developing information and make critical judgments about what is the best response to that much quicker now. And I don't think that a five-year term is the best way to deal with that because so much can go under the bridge that, in fact, you elect someone on January the 1st of one year by New Year's Eve, four years on, you, you're you in a totally different world with, with a totally different armoured uh, political system. And I think while Ireland still has The electoral system that it does, where you have a broadly blended view or a representative slate of of people making decisions on your behalf, I don't think it's any harm to maybe consult people uh, slightly more frequently than they currently do to make sure that they're actually happy with the makeup of the, the society that they've got.
0: Brilliant. So, uh, shorter term or an optional review, like an online, say sixty people, sixty percent of the people in any given year go right. We need new government. Well,
3: well, I'm definitely in favour of, of uh, sort of right of recall or some some sort of once it's not uh, too exploitable. Definitely, some right to say right. Well, actually, a TD has done something genuinely sackable. There should be some facility within a five year term, subject to, to proper benchmarking or, or thresholds where you can contemplate having a public ballot to remove that person or to force them to be re-elected or to run a second time. Um, But in a broader sense, I actually just think that maybe constitutionally uh, we should just change the five-year term and have four-year terms or three-and-a-half-year terms because I just think that five years, so much now changes both in terms of information flow and in how the, the fate of Ireland is so bound up in global affairs that I don't think that it's really fair to make a decision in five years and then completely park... Your, your input or your ability to scrutinise that or to affect the outcome again for another five years afterwards
1: so uh, here's my <laughs> question then what would you do if you were the dictator
0: ah okay Um, what would I do if I was the dictator I would yeah I think that the key lies in the electoral system uh, so I would I, I think I'd stand by my I'd change I'd get rid of represent, the representational part of it I'd make it a system whereby uh the people go in, they're drawn, drawn by lots. Now, there are lots of structural changes involved in that. Um, there's other ideas I had. Like, you might... Like, so, yeah, you have that system where you go in, you get drawn by lots, you get put in committees, more TDs so that the, you know, the, the weight the of numbers decides... You have a, you know, you have a large enough sample size in each department to make it a good, informed decision. Um, other things I would inter- I would consider introducing would be... Uh, a review, right? So, uh, like, everyone's online now, right? Uh, more or less in the country. You should have a sort of a review process whereby every year, um, you can you get a yay or nay, essentially. Every single year, yay or a nay on the government. It's simple, like, you're happy with the government, you're not happy with the government. And if that number, if the number of nays goes over, say, in any given year, two thirds, maybe 66%, that government is disbanded and a new... Uh, sortition day where everyone arrives begins. And that that might curb, you know, just if you get a really bad lot by accident mm. in one of the departments. And maybe it should be for yay or nay for each department. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking I'm on my feet here. I think that would be a good idea. And it's something that we should look at the way modern life is, the, the technologies that we have, the social situations that we have, and write our constitution in a way that is relevant to now and not like beatify these documents that are almost all obsolete, like particularly the American one is extraordinarily obsolete, written, you know, hundreds of years ago for 13-state America. Uh, and the main reason for like something like the electoral college system was basically so that they didn't end up killing each other because they didn't even have any alliance other than that they disliked the British. Now, we should consider things like what's relevant to now. So the every everybody now or the vast majority of people have access to education, uh, the vast majority of people have access to uh the digital world so you can do things remotely as we've seen in this crisis like have a review system uh, you can have referendums probably remotely in to some shape or form obviously they have to be secure um you can have people travel to the the capital of the country and uh you know take part in a sortitionist government should they so wish um The other two things, sorry, I know I'm rambling on here, but the other two things I would consider then are any country that's the size of the States or China or India, I actually don't think that's a functional size for a country. So somewhere like the States should, you know, voluntarily disband into its 50 states because it's a much, you can see countries like Ireland and New Zealand in COVID. I think they found it easier to to have, like, a social cohesion. Like, people want People felt like they're in a community and they want to do the right thing for the pandemic for their fellow uh, Irish person or New Zealand person. But I just think that becomes diluted. The community aspect of it becomes diluted if it gets too big. And then one... What about freedom? (laughs) America is freedom. (laughs) And then one final thing. flag. (laughs) Shut up with your flag. One final thing. Um, The other final thing I might consider as I alluded to a bit earlier, was the thing that Peter Stone said about having the the minister or, or sorry, the chair of the, the committee be elected by the specialists in that area, uh, be it the health professionals in the health department or, uh, as the example was, the general in when it comes to the military. Grand. So then you, if you were in the same situation, what change? All ah, right. What, if what, I, for one day, what are you doing? If okay. I'm the dictator of Ireland, no, president of the
1: universe. Of, oh, <laughs> oh, of the world.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, any rule system you're going to bring in ah, is like, was going, you wanted to work everywhere. But like, yeah, do Ireland was, and do the world. Well, I was
1: going to say, like, we should invade the Isle of Man, you know, have like, uh, just just to get a bit of victory, you know. <laughs> just to annoy them. Just like. to, yeah, be like, ah, this is theirs now. You know, do would something be like a, that. It would be a good
0: invasion ta- uh, target because, like, you're basically asking the Brits how much you actually care about (laughs) this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think it wouldn't work because they're in NATO. But there is a constitution of the Isle of Man which states that they are not... Literally, the first line in the Isle of Man constitution, they're not and never have been a part of the United Kingdom. So, as far as they're concerned, they're their own thing. So, I guess the invasion would really put that to the test. Like, do you want Britain and the power of NATO on your side? Anyway, if I was the dictator of the world... Um, I don't know. Again, I, I kind of agree with Douglas Lane. You can't just like kind of dictate things like that. Uh, what would I do? If I got one day to change something, it would just be changed back the following day, you know? Uh No, but say, like, for this hypothetical, it's enshrined in the constitution now. It's gonna
0: be like the if you put it in the constitution, it's gonna be like the feckin' American constitution three hundred years later, still living by this rule,
1: whether or not it makes any sense. Okay, okay. Here <laughs> here's here's what I would change, right? So like there's gonna be more and more people. Right, uh, and less and less space. So I think there should be huge underground caves, and the people who live in them have yokes around their neck. Where if they try and come out of the caves, their heads blow up. Okay, yeah, is that the that's, only thing? Yeah, yeah. Let's no, get on answer, board. No, let's get. Let's do question. that. All right. A serious answer. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I'm the I'm the second dictator of the world. Uh, I would change uh, abolish commodity production. Can we have that as the answer?
0: So by that you mean abolish production that's, like how do you how how would you, how you define a commodity in that situation? Uh, it does it's every, so,
1: something that has, a, something that's produced for exchange value.
0: And so the people would have to, is what
1: is it, the people who would have to vote? No, no they wouldn't get a vote I'm the dictator, I'm telling them Okay yeah but you're only the dictator for a day yeah, yeah, but you said this is going to be laid down for all. That's time. what I mean. But
0: you need to, you need to, you need to codify it as a as a rule. What's the rule?
1: Uh, yeah. What is the rule? The rule is uh, we democratize production. The goal, democratize the goal of production. There you go. That's my dictator. So thing. is that is that? And if we can't every, have that, we have the tunnels with the exploding heads.
0: <laughs> so every company needs to have fifty-one percent worker voters, and they have to vote
1: that this is worthwhile doing. Uh, they thing that they're producing? No, no. Um, I, I still think if you have worker-controlled companies, you still have, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're still trying to get market share and all that. Like, you still have all the problems uh, and you would still have accumulation and things like that. I think at a, a more basic level, society, everyone in society decides, uh, votes for what do they need, right? So everyone would need a, a house, right? So then it's like... Uh, that's okay. one of the goals, Let's make right? Houses. Everyone, everyone needs a house. Here's here's the amount of houses we need, blah.
0: Okay, and cool. So and so, and yeah. that, that would just so I'm I'm because I don't want to miss out on like space exploration. So just so so, if uh, if people voted that they wanted to do space exploration, you can go. Oh, I'm a rocket manufacturer. We're going to build uh rocket engines.
1: Well, there would still be. Uh, like even though like, that's like not the necessarily something we need. The elections will be right. We've got these things. Everyone says we need these, but there's still these. This other uh, we can put labour power towards X, Y, or Z. Here's the political campaign. Somebody is saying, put put the productive power towards space, and somebody else is saying no put it towards underground tunnels for people with, whose heads will explode if they come out of them. So now you got that and then you got someone else saying, let's, let's all wear MC Hammer trousers. And so then the society has to decide, uh, right, now we vote on what do we want to happen. Uh, I've been listening a lot to the guy who says... we should go to space so I'm going to vote for that and then somebody else would be like oh I like this exploding heads idea that gets my vote (laughs) can't we have the exploding heads guy
0: with MC Hammer pants at the same time
1: (laughs) in space
0: it thanks very much as ever for listening we'd like to thank all our guests all our contributors for contributing if you like the podcast don't
1: forget to like subscribe tell your friends all of that sort of stuff uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us it's uh doublethinkpodcast at gmail.com or facebook doublethinkpodcast our twitter handle is doublethinkcast
0: yeah and thanks again for listening and uh, as ever we are going to finish this episode with uh, a song <laughs> very, very loosely reflecting the content of this episode. Improvised on the spot by Ken. Enjoy it. Thanks very much. Bye.
1: Should we abolish democracy? I think so. It's not so good to queue up and cast your vote Abolish democracy, please If you don't abolish democracy I'll kill your knees I'll stab you in your knees Unless you abolish democracy with me How you like your knees And democracy, please I hope you don't like them knees Yeah, there we go. That'll do. (laughs) I don't know why I lean towards knees. Why did you get so
0: violent, (laughs) I don't know. And also, why did you say abolish democracy when you wanted to sort of keep democracy? (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's just what came up. Came, you know, it's like
0: yeah. I don't know. Don't argue with the muse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Good.